Now Moses was tending the flock of uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of uh, Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was not on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there, go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptian and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivites, and Jebusite. And now the cry of Israel has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name, name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanite, 
Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite, all land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John Wen. Good morning, church. It's very good to see you all this morning. I recall back uh, this time last year at our first Mission Sunday, and Zishan was preaching from the book of Jonah, and he absolutely decimated our internship program, because a third of our interns equated Nineveh with Wellington, and they went. So... You have to be a little bit careful on Mission Sundays, I've learned. The good news is that not all of our interns are back yet, so I feel a bit relaxed about that. Last week was a bit of a shock to the system, it's fair to say. I got quite used to Sunday morning sleeping in and rocking up to church at 10 to 10. So waking up at 6 a.m. has been a bit of a shock to the system. I know it was more of a shock for your system last Sunday, having an amateur on the guitar. So Richard, it's very good to have you back uh, on deck this morning. As we have been reflecting, this morning is Mission Sunday, and this morning I want to reflect on the following statement and question, or two questions. We're sent by God, but where should I go and what should I do? We are sent by God, but where should I go and what should I do? So let's pause for prayer as we unpack this book of Exodus. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the call that you have placed on each of our lives, and we thank you and praise you that you are reminding us of that call this morning. Already you've been doing that. And now as we open your word, as we've listened to the call of Moses, uh, we pray that you would settle on our hearts, the call it is for, that you have for us as a church, and the call that you have for each and every one of us as individuals. Lord, I pray that you would humble our proud hearts, that you would strengthen our timid hearts, that you might heal our broken hearts, that we might know Jesus and we might make him known. This we ask in his name and for his glory. Amen. So let me begin with a little bit of a definition for mission. We are all, I think, familiar with the definition that mission means to be sent. But let's uh, explore three or four unpackings of mission. Starting in 1974, the Luzan Conference on World Evangelization. Many of you will be familiar uh, with that gathering in 1974 in Switzerland when Billy Graham called thousands of delegates from around the globe and to focus on world evangelization and mission, they came up with the following statement. World evangelization requires the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Now, there's a bit of context behind uh, those three emphases that I won't go into this morning, but I like it. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That's not a bad definition of mission. In 2018, I had the privilege, the real privilege, of going to Jerusalem, GAFCON 2018, and they came up with the following statement that I, again, think is a wonderful definition of mission, to proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations. Isn't that a great definition? To proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations. Perhaps a slightly fuller definition, De Young and Gilbert in their book, What is the Mission of the Church, come up with the following. The church is sent into the world to witness to Jesus 
by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. That's a pretty comprehensive definition. The defining definition, of course, goes back a few years prior to that, 33 AD, and we heard the following. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Well, this morning I want to use Moses' call and the passage that we've just heard read to us from Exodus chapter 3 to reflect on this call that we are sent and to lift our gaze to the wider biblical story of mission and its implications for us today. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to the Scriptures. If you've got a phone, this is the one time in church you're allowed to be on your phone as long as you're in a, in a Bible app, that's what I would say. Snapchat, Facebook, that doesn't count. Bible apps, that's acceptable. If you're in a pew Bible, I'm on page 57, and I'm reading from chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire and within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw what he had got, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Most of you will be familiar with the context of why Moses finds himself in the wilderness. Earlier he had seen an Egyptian and one of his fellow Israelites fighting and he looked left and he looked right and he murdered the Egyptian. Word got out that Moses was the murderer. In fact, it got right to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses, and so Moses flees to Midian. He comes to this wilderness area. He comes to a well. He meets seven good-looking ladies who were daughters of a priest in Midian, and he protects them from another incident, and the girls invite him back to Dad's house. Cut a long story short, he marries one of the daughters, Zipporah, and he begins a family. And so we find him here at the beginning of chapter 3, tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. He is on Mount Horeb, which is equated to Sinai, Mount Sinai. And he sees this strange incident. He sees a bush and he sees flames of fire burning in this bush and the bush isn't burnt up. Now, wherever we see flames of fire in the scriptures, often it's a reference to the presence of God. In Genesis, here, in Samuel, and of course on Pentecost, the flames of fire represent something of the presence of God. An angel of the Lord calls to Moses. Moses goes over and sees what is this strange sight. God calls him by name twice, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, he says, here I am. The passage goes on to say, don't come any closer, God said. 
Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And that he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at the Lord's. The first invitation of the Lord to Moses is an invitation to worship. He says, take off your sandals. It's an ancient Near East practice of worship. You take off your sandals. The Lord says to him, this ground that you are standing on is holy. God introduces himself. He's the God of Moses' fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And then something of a revelation of the character of God is described in this chapter. Two things we learn about the character of God here. First, we learn about his holiness, and secondly, we learn about his compassion. The holiness of God, the one who is set apart other than creation, the one who is pure, in whom there is no darkness, this God calls to Moses. And such is his holiness that even the ground that Moses is now standing on becomes holy. J.I. Packer makes the point that the primary revelation of God in the Old Testament is that of his holiness. He would say in Isaiah 6 is a defining verse, and Isaiah 6 is a very interesting echo of Exodus 3 here of the call of Isaiah. Packer would say that the defining verse of the Old Testament is Isaiah 6, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. This holiness is revealed to Moses, the ground on which he is standing. The God who is calling is separate, is apart from this creation. He calls to Moses. And what's Moses' response? Look at the text. Moses is fearful. He is afraid of this holy God who is calling him. The appropriate response to the holiness of God's. But notice also the compassion that shines through in the character of God. Look at verse 7 and following. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Flebites, and all the ites that you can think of. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. You hear the compassion of the Lord there. He's seen the misery. He's seen the oppression. He's seen how his people, the Israelites, are in bondage to these slave owners And he has come down to do what? To rescue them. He's come down to rescue them from their slavery and to deliver them into a land of promise. What's the land look like? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the biblical reason why you must have breakfast, children. That's the biblical reason you must have honey on your toast and marmalade and milk. No, marmalade's an extra. It's a land of abundance. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The compassion of God is going to rescue the Israelites and he's going to deliver them into this land of abundance. This is God's mission. But notice how he invites Moses to be the agent of that mission. Look at verse 10. So now go. 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so we find Moses questioning this call. Who am I to go? He asks actually two questions. Who am I? And who is it that's sending me? The simple answer in terms of who Moses is, is he's the servant of the Lord. God himself has the mission to come and rescue the Israelites, but Moses is the agent, the servant of the Lord, who will enact that mission. And then he asks perhaps the more important question, who is it that has sent me? Who is it that is sending me? Look at verse 13 and 14. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The divine name of Yahweh is revealed to Moses. I am who I am. Moses is still unsure about this. And in the following chapter, we learn his own doubts about his call. And who doesn't have a, a doubt in terms of being called to the mission? But Moses asks, his, asks the question or makes the statement that you should never say to God. He says, please send somebody else. Please send somebody else. How often do we do that? Well, if you look at chapter 4, you will find that the anger of the Lord burns against Moses when he says, send somebody else. Why? Because God has called Moses to this task. Yahweh has called Moses to this task. Let's lift our gaze a little bit further afield in the scriptures and consider other people that were sent by God, some willingly, some reluctantly. Joseph was sent by God. Joshua, of course, picks up the mantle of Moses' call. Isaiah, as we've already said, the very similar call between Isaiah and Moses, sent by God. In the New Testament, we find the risen Lord Jesus sending Mary to the disciples to share the good news on Resurrection Sunday that he is alive. We find Peter and Paul both sent to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. But of course, the quintessential figure in the New Testament who was sent by God is, of course, Jesus himself. In John's gospel, and we're going to unpack this more fully in the coming days, but in John's gospel, we hear of his mission and the following mission of you and I. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Notice in that description the triune nature of the God. It's the Father who sends the Son, the Son who sends us, and he sends his Holy Spirit on us to enable us in mission. We heard earlier about Jesus' instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28, usually termed the Great Commission, and Chuck Swindell makes the comment, don't ever describe the Great Commission as the Great Suggestion. Don't ever describe the Great Commission as the Great Suggestion. This is God's call to each and every one of us.
In Acts 1, Luke records on the day of Pentecost, Jesus instructed the first disciples to wait in Jerusalem. They were waiting, fearful in the locked room, and Jesus steps into the room. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want to call this movement here described in Acts 1.8 as the ripple pattern of mission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was the ripple impact of the first disciples. They began with Jerusalem. They began with what was familiar, with those whom they know. And then they go to Judea. They step out of their immediate context. And then they go beyond their comfort zone. They go into Samaria. Samaria, of course, the enemies of God. They're now outside of their comfort zone. And then they go where? They go to the ends of the earth, even to Dunedin, Ethan the very ends of the earth. And let me encourage you, church, to have a chat to Ethan and Lindsay after this church or in the coming days and just reflect on what it means to be going to the ends of the earth. This pattern is a good pattern, this ripple pattern. We begin with those who are closest to us. If you're married, your first mission is to your spouse, to love your spouse with the sacrificial love of Christ with your family. If you're single, it's to continue to love your family. And then it moves outside to your neighbors. And then it moves outside of your comfort zone until we end to the ends of the earth. That's reflecting on the first question, where do we go? In a moment, I'm going to consider what do we do when we go to the ends of the earth. But let's reflect again on Moses' call and consider the implications for you and I today. First thing I want to reflect on this morning is to suggest to you that mission is built on the character of God. Mission is built on the character of God. And as we see in this text, the character of God is revealed as holy and compassionate. The holiness of God who is set apart, in whom there is no shadows, in whom there is no darkness, God's character of holiness is the beginning point of our mission. But so too is compassion. He looked down and he saw the slavery, the bondage of his people. He heard their cry, he saw their oppression, and he was moved to act. And then he calls Moses to join him. The holiness of God and the compassion of God to redeem his people. That's still the two driving motivations of God's mission today. Mission is built on the character of God, firstly. Secondly, your past does not disqualify you from mission. Your past does not disqualify you from mission. Nor, I might say, does a perceived understanding of your inadequacies. If Moses can be called into the mission of God, any one of us can be called into the mission of God. Towards the end of last year, I was involved in a wedding down in the deep south in Matara where they roll their eyes, they, they roll COVID when they say it's COVID. I was in a conversation with a, a fellow Lincoln University student down there, and we were talking about our university days, we were reminiscing about our university days, and she said to me, Stu, oh, what uh, church did you go to when you were at Lincoln? 
And to my embarrassment and to my shame, I had to say I spent more time in the local hotel than I did in the local church. Our past does not disqualify us from mission. Your perceived inadequacies do not disqualify you from mission. If Moses can be called into the mission of God, so too can you and so too can I. Where do we go? We've reflected on that, the ripple pattern of mission. We go first to those who are closest to us, to our family, to our friends, and then the ripple works outwards. We go to those who are across the street from us. There was a book written not long ago defining mission. It said, just walk across the room. Sometimes mission means you just walk across the room and introduce yourself. And then we go outside of our comfort zone and we go to the ends of, our, of the world. But perhaps the key question that we need to get clear in our hearts is, what do we do? What do we do? What are we called to in this mission of God's? Well, as we reflected on the definitions of mission at the beginning of this message, to proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations, that's not a bad starting point. What do we do when we are sent by God? We supremely witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the character of God, the one who reveals the holiness of God, the one who reveals the compassion of God is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Supremely, we see that at the cross of Christ. What are you called to do? What is God sending you to do to go and bear witness to the death and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ? To tell your neighbor who is in bondage, who is lost because of his sin, because of his rebellion against God, what are you called to do? You are called to go and proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations before you can do that you've got to have heard that call yourself you've got to received the salvation the rescue that God has for you do you know the freedom that the Lord Jesus has bought for you you see the Israelites were set free from that great exodus by the blood of the lamb the judgment of God passed over them and they were set free from their bondage by the blood of the Lamb. You and I are set free by the blood of the Lamb of God who was crucified for us at the cross of Christ. That's why John could go in mission and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's my calling. That's your calling. Do you hear the cry of your neighbor? Do you see the bondage of your neighbor? Are you willing to go beyond your comfort zone and proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations? Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather in your name, in your presence this morning, as we reflect on your mission in the world, as we've reflected on Moses' call into the world, we take great heart that you can use someone like Moses. If you can use him, you can use us, Lord. And so we praise you and thank you that you have made a way for rescue. You have made a way of salvation. 
Lord Jesus, we hear your call afresh this morning. As the Father has sent you, so you are sending us. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would breathe your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us here this morning, that we would receive afresh that call to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, give us courage, give us faith, give us boldness. Above all, give us a willingness to go. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.